This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hi. So this week we're talking about Woodford, uh, positive market news and how people are spending their pension money. So let's first start with the positive news because actually the markets were up last week and this week we certainly had one good session so far. I think we've had first glimpse into what might happen if Brexit is better than market expected. So we had a massive bounce in banking shares, in house builders, in supermarkets. So these are all the UK focused businesses. It's been helped by Sterling having a big shoot up. Um, And you've seen like, uh, the banking shares up more than ten percent in a day. I mean, that this is wow. That's pretty big. This is stuff we've not seen since for three years, I think. So just after the referendum vote in twenty sixteen, there was a big sell off, and but the bounce back was very impressive. People starting to think actually maybe maybe we'll have confidence again and buy in the market. So you've seen a couple of sessions in the last week where investors have really bid up these shares, and I and I think yeah. You know, if Brexit does work out, we get clarity about what's going on. You could potentially see UK shares back in vogue because they've been out of favour for a long time. Yeah, people have been selling out of them and globally fund managers have been pretty down on the prospects for the UK and the uncertainty. So was there a bigger bounce seen in the FTSE 250 index of the smaller companies than in the FTSE 100? Yeah, because about half of them are businesses who generate their earnings in the UK. So if you compare that to the FTSE 100, that's the 100 biggest companies on the market, about 70, 75% of them generate their earnings overseas. So a strong pound is bad for the FTSE 100, pretty much good for the FTSE 250. So um, as we're recording today, uh, the pound's taken a step back. And so you naturally expect to see the FTSE 100 rise, and that's what it's doing. Um, So it's what's happening in the currency markets has increasingly become very important to investors. Um, And it's definitely not the domain of um, fund managers or or sort of, you know, very sort of large, sophisticated traders. The general public must keep an eye on currency movements because it does play a big role with um, all the companies that we are, should be familiar with on the UK stock market. And so you talked a bit about banks there as particularly benefiting. Are there any other companies that have seen a particularly big boost over the past? Well, week or so? it, it, it's it banks, house builders, and supermarkets are, are the sort of the sectors well represented on the London stock market by UK businesses. So um, that's principally where we've seen the boost because. I guess with the banks, people were worried about um, would Brexit cause a recession? Would it hurt the UK economy? So banking shares have been sold off quite a lot recently. House builders, people have been worried about the property market. What would happen with Brexit? We've seen a slowdown in the property market and, and house builders are sort of talking to themselves about their costs have been going up. So they've been under a bit of pressure. So you can you can kind of understand why they're in a bounce. And a strong pound and hopes of um Perhaps life isn't going to be as hard. Um, yeah, it's good for supermarkets. I guess we've all got to eat anyway, no matter what going on with the economy. But um, these supermarkets make very small profit margins. So um, as we sort of say, every little helps <laughs> in terms <laughs> of um, you know, any sort of bigger boost to potentially people spending more money. And so now the big news of the week in the investment world, certainly, is Woodford's fall from grace. So, Dan, for anyone who hasn't kind of caught up on the 
process so far? Why don't you recap what's happened over the past, literally over the past 24 hours? So we've had confirmation that the Woodford um, Equity Income Fund, which whose dealing has been suspended since June, um, that will now not reopen. They will wind that fund down. So Neil Woodford, the fund manager, um, has been sacked. Subsequently to that, the other funds that Neil Woodford is running, they've decided that he's quit from the Woodford Patient Capital Trust and he's closing down his asset management business. So it's, it, you know, all of this happened within a 24-hour period. It's quite unprecedented, this sort of activity. There's a lot to take in and there are thousands of investors in the UK and I imagine a lot of our listeners will be invested in one or more of these funds. So it really does matter to understand what is going on. So I'm going to go and ask Laura all the key points that you need to know about what's happening. So we'll okay, do... Okay, I'll do my best. Yeah, we'll do... It's not like a quick fire round, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do a slow, a slow, important questions for you. So first up, why has this equity income fund closed rather than just staying suspended while it gets its portfolio Reconstructed. So the intention was that the portfolio would reopen in December, meaning that investors could get their money out then. Um, Link, which is the kind of administrator of the fund, has clearly taken a decision that the fund wouldn't be in a position to have enough cash to pay back investors who wanted to redeem their money by December. And so it has said that it's in the best interest of investors to close the fund rather than to keep suspending it. So if I was an investor, when can I actually expect to get my money back? So this is a slightly trickier one. So the first more solid thing we have from Link is that the first tranche of money will be repaid to investors in January next year. So the easily saleable assets that are within the fund, so we're thinking here probably the big FTSE 100 companies that the fund owns, um, will be sold and that cash will be returned to investors. But there's lots of assets that will take much longer to sell and as and when they're sold, tranches of money will be paid back to investors. But there's been no time frame given for that. And it could stretch out for many, many months. And is there any indication of how much money investors will get back? Obviously, it, it depends on the valuation of each of the holdings within it. But um, it seems to me if they're taking on these extra two asset management companies to help sell it, implying higher costs. But uh, is there anything that investors could find out now how much they're going to get back? Put simply, no. I think it depends on all those factors that you talked about. So it depends on the value of the assets underneath the fund and how much they can actually be sold for. It depends on the costs incurred by the fund because um, not only are they now paying um, two other asset managers instead of Woodford, um, but there's also the costs of selling these investments and particularly the unquoted, unlisted assets are more costly to sell. So you've got any money that you can generate from the assets minus the costs of, of doing it and that will be what's handed back to investors. But if you bear in mind also since the fund suspended in June, the value of the of the fund has dropped by around 17% already. So if you had £1,000 in it at June when it's suspended, you've now on paper got £830 and then it's what can be generated from that minus the cost. So if, if I was an investor, do I still have to pay fees now or is that stopped? So you have to pay fees until January. So most investors in the fund will pay 
0.75% a year as their fee. Um, you'll carry on paying that until January. Link has said it will waive its part of the fee, but hasn't actually said how much of that 0.75% its fee makes up. It also has appointed two new investment managers and hasn't said or told investors how much it's agreed to pay those investment managers. And it said that if there's extra costs, that will just come out of the money that's generated from selling the assets. So at the moment, I think we need a lot more clarity on what costs investors are going to have to bear on the fund. So if, if Neil Woodford's no longer the fund manager, is uh, is anyone really running the show at the moment? Because you know, if BlackRock are here to, to sell some assets, is that a sort of a separate job than the day-to-day running of this fund? Yeah, so Link have appointed BlackRock to sell the kind of listed or bigger assets, and they've appointed... Um, Park Hill to sell the unquoted assets and they will just be looking to get a price for them and and sell them on. They will not be looking to kind of manage the assets in the same way that Neil Woodford was doing previously. So obviously Neil Woodford, um, as I mentioned earlier, running other funds as well. So he runs the Woodford Patient Capital Investment Trust um, and another fund called Income Focus. So what What's actually happening with those? So if, you're, if I was an investor in patient capital, um, now that's still trading on the stock market now, isn't it? So what, what is, it, is it sort of doing well or not doing well? So patient capital, when it launched, raised about £800 million worth of money. It's now worth about £300 million, but it is still trading on the stock exchange. So um, Neil Woodford has resigned from managing that. He has a three-month notice period, so he'll carry on managing it for the next three months. And the board of the trust have said that they're going to make an announcement shortly, they've basically got two options. They will either appoint a new manager or they will decide to wind down the fund in the same way that we've seen with equity income um, and sell off the assets and and return the cash to investors. But yeah, the the, uh, shares of that trust are still traded, but they understandably have been hit by the announcement that that um, Neil Woodford was fired from equity income. So yesterday the shares fell about 9%. And since the equity income fund shut in June, the shares have fallen by 55% already. Yeah, actually, so I, I did notice this before we came in to record this podcast, they're down another 12% today. So Another 12%, yeah, wow. So, um, and what, what about, finally, what just about this income focus fund? So if you're, if you're invested in this, there seems to be the one where, certainly at the time of recording this, very little information on what's going to happen to this fund, apart from we just know that it's going to be wound down. Well, shockingly little information. And actually, we don't know for certain that it's going to be wound down. So Neil Woodford has said that he is winding down his investment management business, but Link uh, could decide that they want to appoint another manager on this fund. Now, this is a much smaller fund, so the equity income fund that's, that is being wound up is worth about $3 billion-ish. Um, this fund, the Income Focus Fund, is only worth $300 million. So it's likely that if they, if Link didn't see the value in continuing with a £3 billion fund, they're not going to see the value in continuing with a £300 million fund, and it will be wound up. But like you say, as we record, we've not had any announcements from Link or from Woodford on what's actually happening with this fund. The big difficulty is that this fund remains open. It's not suspended. And so what we could end up seeing is investors deciding to redeem their money, too many investors redeeming their money compared to the amount of cash held in the fund, and then you end up seeing it suspended, which is what we saw with equity income earlier this year. It's, I mean, it is 
a bizarre situation. So, so Neil Woodford as a fund manager, if you go back a couple of years ago, um, he was just like considered to be this this great person um, who'd who'd made people loads of money in the past. What is it sort of hard to pinpoint what went wrong? It, so to me, it seems to be he sort of he, he deviated from what he was good at, and he started to look at these um, companies with that weren't either generating revenue and that had big sort of promise of tomorrow. Um, and then that was one of the issues, wasn't it? That the, the income fund was full of illiquid stocks. Mm. Um, bizarre why they would be allowed, if they weren't generating revenue, why they were in an income generating fund. It's sort of Yeah, strange. he kind of switched his style. I mean, I think it's just an accumulation of lots of different things. He switched his style. He then, even the kind of bigger firms that he was still invested in, some of them just really did not do very well. He had some particularly spectacular blow-ups. At the same time, that meant performance wasn't very good. So then at the same time, investors started withdrawing money. Then he lost some of the big kind of institutional backers. So we're talking kind of pension funds or other fund managers that were invested in him. Um, and this all has just culminated in um, the situation that we're in now. Because when, when the announcement came out... Um about or the fund was going to to be wound down, I thought his comment or his statement to the world was very bizarre. It was just like one line sort of saying he was really angry and he didn't agree with Link. Um, there was none of this sort of apology to investors that he'd lost people's money. You know, these are people's life savings, isn't it? So what? It, it, and subsequently, there, there seems to have been a sort of statement issued to certain members of the press. Um, a, you know, a bit more apologetic, but you know, as we as we record this podcast, there is no sort of big communication uh, to all the investors, which I think is I think is wrong. I think that's really he's really let people down, in my opinion. There. I think the communication around all of this from Link as well and from um, from Woodford has um, been lacking, certainly in in some cases, and and I also think that. Uh, and I don't know if this would have been enough to kind of turn the tide and lead us to a different outcome, but I think throughout, um, Woodford was criticised for continuing to take his fees on it, um, for not apologising quickly enough, um, for not seeming to kind of show any contrition. And and I think that would have gone a long way with, with investors who, like you say, have put a lot of money with him and and, and could potentially lose out on a, on a large amount of their savings. What do you think he'll do next? I guess he's a key question if he's shut his investment management business down do you think someone would employ him as a fund manager or do you think he's just going to have to hide in the background i'm aware that this podcast does not have a visual element i'm making a face (laughs) Um, i think it would be very hard for someone to take him on now i think maybe during time once the dust has settled maybe i mean we could see him running money almost a bit like a family office we could see him running money for his own money and and kind of family and friends and maybe some kind of loyal investors perhaps whether he's got the appetite to do that right now i mean i I imagine that's not even crossing his mind at the moment um I think in terms of will he ever run whatever he was running at his peak, 15, 20 billion pounds again, I think pretty unlikely. Maybe he'll write a warts and all book where it all went wrong, but I can't. I would read that. Yeah. I think there is going to be, I think it's so interesting because we're obviously in the very early stages of this. And I think as we go through the next kind of weeks and months, I think it will be really interesting to see some of the stuff behind the scenes and kind of how Link came to this decision and, and some of those processes. And I think we'll see a lot more light shed on on how these decisions have been come to and, and why. And I think that'll be 
interesting there. Well, oh, I mean, I don't know if it's true, but I was reading something uh, this morning saying that Link just lost patience. They're sort of saying that, you know, your, your aim was to get rid of all the small liquid stuff in your fund, buy bigger, chunkier stuff, which is kind of what you expect from a, you know, a stodgy sort of income fund. But they just said that not enough progress was being made. So I don't know. I mean, it's... it's I can uh, well understand that. And, and because we don't have um, full portfolio details um, at the moment because they're not being published while the fund's being suspended, we can't actually see what progress has been made. And so some kind of stock market announcements have shown that he's bought into certain FTSE 100 companies, but we don't actually know what the portfolio looks like now and, and how much progress has been made. So I think seeing things like that, I think, will be quite interesting. I was reading some really interesting comments online. There's a mixture of places. So you could go to the Woodford website and... The, the public are able to comment there underneath the announcements getting wound up. And also, if you are sort of reading other um, articles in the press about it, and, and places like the Financial Times will let you comment on stories. And this, it, and it did surprise me. There is a lot of support for him. There um, is. That surprised me as well. Yeah, because you had a couple of months ago, so in the summer when, when the fund was the dealing was suspended. You had loads of people going, oh, this is ridiculous. I just want my money. You're, you're, you know, I can't access it. You're blocking me. And, and it's quite um, understandable. People were frustrated. But now they're coming out saying this is this, you know, I didn't have a chance to vote on the winding up. Why wasn't I asked about this? Um, why didn't they just find someone else to run it? You know, and, and if he does something else, I'm there to support Woodford. And, and and it really did take me by surprise. He has a really loyal following. And I think part of that is the returns that he's generated in the past. So if you'd invested with him when he was at Invesco, his previous fund house, I think if you put a thousand pounds in when he started running the fund, you'd end up with, I think it's 23 or 25,000 pounds at the end of it. So he's made kind of that middle England a lot of money. And I think that's bought a lot of loyalty. And, and, and there are a lot of comments from investors out there saying, um, we think he should have been given more time. I was willing to hold this investment for another five years and, and see his investment strategy come out. And I haven't been given the chance now, which I think I found particularly interesting. Obviously, there are lots of other people that are just very angry and feel like they're not going to get much money back now and, and that they weren't buying into what they thought they were buying into. But it's interesting that there's those two camps, mm. which are probably also among our listeners. There are probably some people out there that are angry at the decision to to fire him and, and some people that are just angry at Neil Woodford for um, his poor performance. Yeah, and it might just be down to this communication issue. You don't really know what's going on. I guess it's like it's what you go to a train station and you sort of there's train delays and everyone's going, well, tell me what's going on. I, you know, I, I can accept that if something's cancelled, I just need to be told updated and I think this we get this in life everyone seems to be quite impatient and they want to know what's going on and the way that this this sort of fund um, blow up I suppose you can call it is is not being handled that well even though there might have been dedicated websites you know link has a dedicated website to Woodford stuff it's still still not very clear people just want to know it's their money it's their hard-earned cash and they want to know what's going to happen to it and and when they're going to get that money back and, and how that process is going to be handled and you're right I think like communicating that to investors much more clearly probably would have helped yeah so away from Woodford, we recently spoke to Rachel Vay, a pensions expert at AJ Bell, um, talking about some new data that have come out from the regulator from the FCA looking at how people are spending their retirement pots. So we're just going to listen back to that now. Hi, Rachel. So what's the key things that you found in this research? Hello. Um, well, the first thing is that 650,000 people access their pension for the first time in the year 
um, 18, 19, in the tax year 18, 19. Um, and the headline figure from that is that 55% of those pots were fully withdrawn. So people cashed them in fully. They took them all as cash. Um, and that seems really quite high. It sort of um, sends a little shiver, I think, down, down your back when you start to think about that. There are some mitigating factors with that, though. Um, 90% of the pots which were taken were worth less than 30,000. So it seems that lots of people are taking these small pots, but they're just cashing them in rather than leaving them for later income. Do you think this is because people have got other pensions? So this is the, this is only describing one of their pension pots. They've got something else as well. I think that's the problem is we, we just don't know. So we're, we're really guessing with this. There are a multitude of reasons why people want to take these um, pots of money and just cash them in. Um, but we don't know the personal circumstances of everyone. So for some people, it's going to make absolute sense to do it. It's a £5,000 pot. They're not going to get much um, income from that. They might as well cash it in. Um, but for others, they it might just be a big mistake. They may be better just leaving it within the pensions wrapper and letting it grow there rather than take it out. One of the factors we saw was that three quarters of the people who are taking this money are under state pension age. So a lot of people are just cashing in the pensions early and before they maybe need to do so. And we've seen some previous figures, haven't we, around kind of how people are using their cashed in pots. So some people yeah. are using them for maybe very sensible things, so like maybe paying down debt or um, other things or, or treating themselves to a holiday because they see this as an additional income. Some people are just leaving that money in cash, aren't they, and doing nothing with it. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who are just taking it out and then putting it into the bank. And that just doesn't seem to make any sense that maybe... I think it's this idea that it's your money and therefore you can get your hands on it. You feel a little bit more secure. Um, so people want to take it out and want it where they can see it, for want of a better expression. But there's lots of people also taking it out and putting it into ISAs. And again, OK, you're taking it and putting it in a, a tax-efficient place, but you're only taking it from one tax-efficient wrapper and putting it into another tax-efficient wrapper. And by doing so, you're using up some of your ISA subscription allowance so it doesn't really make a, a lot of sense for people to do that and there was also the figures show that there was quite a high number of people that took their money out without taking advice wasn't there do you think some of that plays into it a bit I think certainly yeah when they um, looked at how many people took advice and guidance there was 48% um, of the whole population who took uh, money out they didn't speak to anyone before they did it they just went ahead and did it um, and that figure is much higher I think with those who just fully cashed in their pension so if they're just going to cash in their pension then they weren't a lot of people weren't taking advice it's almost something like two in three people weren't taking advice or speaking to pensions wise which is the um, the guidance provider and I think that's a little bit worrying um, within all the figures of people who cashed in there was also quite a little interesting stat there which said that two 2,700 of them had um, pots which were worth more than £100,000. Oh, wow. And they cashed, just cashed that all in they in one go. They cashed all of that in in one go. Isn't that amazing? So they, they took all of that money and put it straight into their bank. And you have to wonder if they're speaking to anyone because it just doesn't sound like very good advice at all. Because there's also, this could this runs the risk of getting slightly techie, but there's also some techie tax issues around mm. if you take all of your pot in one go. And, and essentially you're taxed as though that is your regular income, aren't you? So you can end up paying really high tax bills. Well, there's... 
there's what the aspect that if you take the money, then you're, you're taxed on it as income. 25% of it's tax-free. The rest is going to be taxed. So you are going to push some people into a higher tax bracket just by taking um, a pot of pension money. But you're right, there's something that comes into play called emergency tax. And it will be, when it's emergency tax, it's assumed that you're going to carry on receiving this amount of money each month for the rest of that tax year. So if you took a £30,000 pot, it's assumed you're going to get £30,000 next year, and next sorry, next month, and then the month after, and the month after. And because of that, the tax really high. So when you're under the emergency tax, you have this really high tax bill. It's not like you, you can't get your money back you can get your money back. You've got to fill in forms and then send the forms off to HMRC and then HMRC will deal with it and they'll refund you the money or they'll make it all good within the tax year. But it means you being out of pocket for a while and facing a really high tax bill initially. And I guess these are the kind of things where if you'd sought advice or or guidance, they might have been pointed out to you and there might be kind of a more tax efficient way of taking that money out. Absolutely. I mean, the best thing about pensions is that you can take the money out gradually and therefore you can take it out on the right amount just to keep you within a certain tax bracket or just the amount you actually need and then just leave the rest of it in a, as I said, a really nice tax efficient environment and let it grow. So is there anything in the figures about how people are taking money out in terms of whether they're um, using an annuity to get this uh, income or whether they're just getting sort of the drawdown, um, the, the gradual taking an income from their pension? Yeah, pot? well, as I said, the majority of people are cashing it in. Um, but the people who are actually using it to buy an income, three times more people are, are using drawdown than annuities Um, which it's not surprising this is continuing this theme that we've seen emerging since um, pensions freedom and pensions flexibility came out. So a lot more people are are using their money for drawdown. Do you think people are taking too much money out? They're not thinking about sustainability, um, potentially getting excited they can access their pension pot, but they're not thinking actually if they live quite a long time, they could spend it all and be left later in life with, with potentially nothing. I think there's a real danger of that. There was um, some figures came out from these um, statistics from the FCA about withdrawal rates. And so this is the amount of money you take out of your income drawdown plan. And it was 40% of all the people who've got a drawdown plan are taking out more than 8% of it as income. Oh, wow. So normally, just as a frame of reference, people, and there's a lot of debate around what a sustainable yes. level of income is, yes. but 4% is kind of roughly used as a, a rule. So it, it 8% is, it will is be one on the high rule, side. Yeah, so yeah, 4% is one rule of thumb, which is out there. And as you say, it's up for debate exactly what it is. But 8% is, is double that basic rule of thumb. So yes, it's but, really high. Do, does your pension provider sort of look at the withdrawal rates and, and think that you potentially might be taking too much. Do they warn you at all? Is that not their job to... I think it, this sort of stems back to we don't know what people people's situation is. If you Some people might have um, a defined benefit plan and therefore they're using this amount of cash just to tide them over until the defined benefit plan pension kicks in. So they might have retired before the state pension age or whatever. Or they might be doing it because they've got loads and loads of assets sitting behind them and they're quite comfortable and it's or they might just say well it's just a small amount of money I'm just going to cash it in over the next five or ten years while I need it and I'm still active and I'm traveling the world in my retirement and all these wonderful plans people have and they might be doing that Um, so for an individual circumstances it's really difficult for us to call if it's the right thing or the wrong thing this feels like you're straying into 
advice mm. uh, as a provider. Um, but if you take a s step back and look at the population as a whole, I think this is really quite a worrying trend. It does seem high and it may be an area that the FCA begins to look at a little bit more in detail as we start to get more and more statistics over the years about how pensions freedom is um, panning out. So I know that when you're saving up um, during the accumulation sort of stage of your life and and your pension provider will send you a statement once a year yeah. and says like this is based on what you've been saving so far it's an indication of what you might have when you hit retirement so when you're in re retirement do they then send you something every year saying this is how much um, based on your uh, what you got left how, how long it lasts or the do well, they not do that? When you take, well, you, you will get a statement every year in um, Drawdown, which will tell you exactly how much money you've got. And when you first take out um, a pen, uh, Drawdown, then it gives, there is a calculation in there that says, right, you're taking, say, uh, £2,000 a month from your Drawdown plan. If you carry on at this rate, your money will run out at age, say, 82 so they are trying to get a lot of this back into the, the conversations about drawdown and emphasising that it's a pot of money and it, and it can run out. Now, obviously, if you're working uh, with an advisor for your um, retirement income, then the advisor will do that every year as well. They will have a look at what, how much money you're taking out, how much the funds have grown by, what the investment performance has been, and they will be able to figure out if that withdrawal rate is sustainable and whether it meets your needs or whether you can look somewhere else for that particular income or whether you're just going to have to just cut back a bit. So there's lots of ways of trying to get a little bit more information about looking at uh, looking at that. But running out of money within your pension pot is certainly a risk that people need to think about when they first take out income drawdown. And because also I think a lot of people think, okay, in the initial years of retirement, this is when I'm going to spend the most money because this is when I'm most active. That's when I'm going to take my yes. round-the-world trips or, or cruises or, or whatever. And then when I'm older and later in retirement, I'm not going to need so much money. But that's not necessarily true, is it? It depends on so many factors and it depends on care costs, which is obviously a big factor. Yeah, um, this is where it gets really quite complicated and why drawdown is it can be such a complicated um, solution because you're looking at something lasting you 30 years. Um, and at the moment, we're waiting for something to come out from the government, a, a green paper on how um, care costs are going to be met in future. So you don't know what care costs you're going to have. You don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know um, if the government is going to um, meet those care costs. If you've got to do it, how much money it's going to require. There's so many factors with it. And there is a tendency, I think, for people to say, oh, do you know what, it's, it's the first 10 years of retirement, I'm going to really enjoy it because after that it's all going to go downhill or whatever. But that's not necessarily the case. Some people leave a very, very active retirement uh, right up to when they die. And also people just don't know how long they're going to live for. We very In this country, we generally underestimate how long we are going to live for. Um, so people don't realise that they, you know, there's a good chance that one in four, one in three are going to make it to, be, to beyond 100. So you've got to fund it for that length of time. That's quite a terrifying stat, isn't it? I'm not sure I want to live beyond 100. I think when you get to 98, you will change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably very true. <laughs> Thanks a lot for talking us through all of that. Thank you very much. So thanks ever so much for listening this week. Um, 
please do go onto your um, preferred platform for listening to the podcast and give us a rating. We really do like it. We like high ratings rather than low ones. Dan really likes it. Gets excited about it. Yes, definitely. Um, and, and and if you've got any suggestions for what you want us to talk about, then drop us a line at podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Thanks ever so much. See you. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.